Well, good morning, Golden Corner Church. Good to see you today. I am so grateful to be in church with you. I want to start a new sermon series this morning entitled Into the Wild. And I'm borrowing that title from a book written by a man named John Krakauer. And of course, the subsequent film, which was written and directed by Sean Penn. Now, both the book and the film chronicle the story of a young man named Chris McCandless. And in April of 1992, Chris set out on what was supposed to be the adventure of a lifetime. He was going to go into the wilds of Alaska and essentially live off the land. So he hitchhiked from South Dakota to Fairbanks. And a good citizen in Fairbanks by the name of Roger Galeen gave Chris a ride, dropped him off on the edge of the remote Alaskan wilderness. And Chris began to make his way down an old logging road called the Stampede Trail. Now along this trail, this snow-covered trail, he discovered a bus. It was his original plan that he would keep working his way west until he came to the Bering Sea. However, the unforgiving Alaskan bush changed his plans and ended up going back to the bus and setting up a camp. Chris had with him about 10 pounds of rice. He had a 22 rifle, about 400 rounds of ammunition, some personal effects, and minimal camping gear. Now, I know what some of you hunters just thought. A 22 rifle in Alaska? What was he going to do with a 22 rifle in, in, in Alaska? Well, apparently he was going to supplement his food reserves by foraging for edible plants and hunting small game. Now, about three months into his adventure, Chris made a decision. That's enough of this. His adventure, his journey turned out to be far more challenging than he had anticipated. And so he's like, I'm out of here and I'm going back to civilization. And he ran into a big problem. The little creek that he had forded to get to the bus uh, was now swollen with snowmelt and too treacherous to cross. So he ended up going back to the bus and reestablishing his camp. On September the 6th, 1992, a hunter seeking shelter came upon this bus. He went inside and he discovered a lump in a sleeping bag. And the lump turned out to be Chris's decomposing body. Now, the cause of death was determined to be starvation. However, I got to disagree with that. I think the cause of death was a lack of preparation. Uh, Mr. Galen, who last saw Chris alive, said that when I saw the, uh, the size of the pack he was carrying and the minimal amount of supplies he had and, and recognized the lack of experience that, that Chris had, I feared for his safety. He said, I begged him to postpone the trip, offered to take him to Anchorage and buy him the proper supplies and food that he would need, and and then I would bring him back, and and he could go off on this great adventure. But, of course, Chris was so self-confident. He was like, I got this. I got this. I'm good. I can handle whatever's out there. 
I'm good to go. If Chris had only taken a topographical map with him, he would have been able to recognize that only eight-tenths of a mile from his camp was a hand-operated tram that would allow him to safely get over the river and get back to his family and friends. Chris McCandless didn't survive his adventure of a lifetime. Why not? He wasn't prepared for what he would face in his journey into the wild. Sadly, I've often seen a similar scenario play out in church. In my 30 years of pastoring, I've seen a lot of people accept Christ and make a decision, I'm going to follow him. They started their spiritual expedition with great enthusiasm and excitement, only to falter somewhere along the way and give up. They didn't survive the rigors and challenges of the journey. Ronnie, do you think they were sincere? Absolutely. Do you think they had good intentions? I know they did. Do you think they were adequately prepared? Probably not. During my last sermon series, some of you made a decision that I'm going to follow Christ. And in doing so, you literally have embarked on the journey of a lifetime. I want you to know that. However, without adequate preparation, many of you will not survive this journey. And I want you to listen to me. I know that some of you made that decision. I'm going to follow Christ. However, without adequate preparation, many of you will not survive this journey. You won't make it. I know that's probably not the good word that you came here looking for today. However, it is the truth. If you're not adequately prepared, I really believe this. Somewhere along the way, you will make a decision that that's enough of this. I didn't think it was going to be this way. I'm out. I'm tagging out. So here's my goal in this series. I want to help you prepare for what's ahead. I want to give you an idea of what waits on you on the path that God has chosen for you. I don't want you to be caught off guard. I want to forewarn you so that you can prepare yourself. You say, Ronnie, how in the world are you going to do that? Uh, I'm going to take you into the wild. How's that? And how are you going to do that, Ronnie? For the next few weeks, you and I are going to join a group of people who embarked on the adventure of a lifetime by following God into a wilderness. And most of you already know and understand, okay, he must be talking about the Israelites. Well, you're right. And each week, we're going to take our Bible and we're going to travel along with them. And when their journey ends, I promise you, our journey will be ready to begin. We're going to be prepared. And because we're prepared, we're not going to endure the journey. We're going to enjoy the journey. So are you ready to kind of launch out into the unknown? Okay, let's get it. Let's go out into the wild, all right? In just a minute, we're going to read a few verses from Exodus chapter 13 and 14. But before we do, I want to just set the stage and make sure you know what's happening. God's people, the Israelites, have been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. Those last years, they were treated as slaves by the Egyptians, and I'll tell you, really mistreated by them. So the Israelites began to pray to God and say, how about it? Can you help us here? Can you get us out of this? God heard their prayers, decided to answer their prayers, and the first thing he did was he called two men. They were brothers, Moses and Aaron. He put them on the point of this great rescue operation. He sent them into Egypt. They go into Egypt, they meet with the reigning pharaoh of Egypt, and explain to him what's going down. 
And they said, this is what God wants you to do. He wants you to let all these people go. His people, let them go. So Pharaoh says, no way. No uncertain terms, under no circumstances, am I ever going to cooperate with this God you're talking about? No deal. So God said, okay. <laughs> watch this. You know, just watch what I'm about to do. So God begins to uh, reveal his anger and his power in acts of judgment against the Egyptians. And if my count was correct, there were 10 of these. I don't know if you call them plagues or judgments or whatever. But after the 10th one, Pharaoh calls Moses in his office and said, I've had a change of heart. Uh, Why don't you take these people and get out of here? And so that's where we're going to pick up as we read chapter 13, verse 17. Look at this with me. It said, when Pharaoh finally let the people go... God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory. Did you catch that? He didn't lead them on the main road. He didn't take the interstate. Even though that was the shortest route. Wasn't the most direct route to the promised land. So here's how would you guys understand something. God wasn't just getting them out of a bad situation. He was trying to lead them into a great situation. The promised land, this land that he had chosen for them, this land, that, this fruitful land this, that he had promised to give them. Look what he said. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. This is what he's saying. These people have never been in a fight. And uh, the Philistines are warlike. If they go up there and the Philistines pick a fight with them, they're going to run back to Egypt and surrender to Pharaoh again. So I, I, I can't lead them that way. Verse 18, so God led them. This is critical. I want you to see this. God was leading The people were following, right? God led them in a roundabout way. Are you seeing that? In a roundabout way through the... Man, he is taking them right into the wild. Toward the Red Sea, thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. In other words, they weren't an army ready for battle, but they were marching like an army ready for battle. Jump down to verse number 20. The Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the in the wild, baby. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them. He's leading. They're following. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or night, and the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Here are the big things you got to get out of those verses. God was leading. The people were following. God's leadership was as clear as a bell. So easy to recognize. Here's the cloud. All you got to do is watch that cloud. If the cloud moves, pull up the tent stakes, pack up your stuff, follow the cloud. You want to know where to go? Follow the cloud. When do we stop? Stop where the cloud stops. Isn't that easy? At night, you know, how do you see a cloud? God said, I'll tell you what I do. I'll, I'll, I'll provide fire at night. And so at night, you see the fire begin to move. What do you do? Move. Where do you go? Wherever the fire goes. When do we stop? Isn't that clear? But even though God's leadership was so crystal clear, there was something awful weird about it. Weird. You say, what do you mean by that? Roundabout. Did you catch that? 
God didn't lead them the most direct route, the, the obvious path, the shortest path to this destination he had in mind for them. You know, if you study this out, let me tell you what was, what was happening. To get to the promised land, they should have been going northeast. Guess what direction God is leading them? Southeast. Now, you know, the leadership is clear, but it's weird. It's almost as though he's leading them in the wrong direction, in the opposite direction that he should have been taking them. So they get to this camp in the wilderness. And in chapter 14, the Bible says that God, who was really leading, spoke to Moses, who was leading for God. And he said, I want you to, uh, break, I want you to lead these people to break camp. Okay, good. Where are we going? You're going northwest. Northwest. You know what was northwest? Egypt. You just got us out of there. I know, but I want you to go northwest. There's this beautiful spot on the beach next to the Red Sea where I want you to camp. Well, obviously Moses is going. So God said, let me explain this to you. I'm setting a trap for Pharaoh, and you're the bait. I'm leading you back up there. You're going to camp next to the sea, and and when Pharaoh hears that you didn't go northeast, you went southeast, now you're going northwest, coming back in his direction, you know, this is what he's going to think. They're confused. That's what the Bible said. Pharaoh's going to think, they're confused. They're just wandering around. They don't have any idea where they're going. He's going to assume that you're trapped in the wilderness. And he said, then I'm going to cause him to rethink the fact that he let you go. I'm going to cause him to change his mind and go, what in the world was I thinking? We've lost all this free labor. You know, and he's going to come after you. Now, Moses didn't pass that memo on to the people. He leads them. They go up. They set up camp next to the Red Sea. Obviously, word gets to Pharaoh. This is where they're at. Pharaoh goes, aha, I know what it is. They're confused. They're trapped. And what was I thinking? He said, why was he doing it? Uh, God was luring him into a trap. So he puts together his whole army, every chariot, every horse, every soldier, and they go out to get these Israelite people. In the meantime, the Israelites are where? On the beach, baby. Free and on the beach, they got to be feeling pretty good about this. One day, they look up, and, and they see, I, I tell you what I think they saw. I think they saw this billowing dust cloud on the horizon. Perhaps somebody said, what do you reckon that is? They were from the south, Egypt. What do you reckon that is? Somebody said, I don't know, man, dust storm? Somebody goes, oh, no. That's Pharaoh. And that's the entire Egyptian army. What do you think they were thinking? Now, hey, we said we're traveling with them, right? You and your your spouse and your children, you're you're there at this point. In your imagination, you're sitting there. You thought you were free. You began enjoying the beach. You've got sandcastles made. This is, you know, finally we can relax. Everything's cool. You look up, now you realize Pharaoh's back. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? I bet you I know. Look at chapter 14, verse 10. 
The Bible said his Pharaoh approached the people of Israel, looked up, and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, this is a key word, big word, why? Why did you bring us out here? What are they assuming? To die in the wilderness? Notice all these questions. Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What? Another key word. What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. I tell you what they were feeling. They were feeling fear because they were assuming the worst. I mean, they knew a couple of, one of two things is going to happen here. He's going to kill us. Or maybe what would be worse is he's going to take us back and we're going to be slaves again and he's going to make life even more miserable on us. So they're, they're afraid of either one, either option. I think they're feeling helpless. Maybe somebody said, well, we can fight. Really? We've never been in a fight. None of us have any military experience. Well, look at them. They're well-equipped, well-organized, well-prepared, well-led, and we're going to fight them. There's no way we win that battle. I think they were feeling hopeless. Somebody said, let's run. Run where? Turn what you got behind you. The Red Sea. I'll tell you what else they were feeling. They were anger, angry. Uh, they looked at Moses, and this is what they were thinking. You blundering idiot. Look what you have done to us. But one thing else they were feeling. They were confused. Why? What? What, what? what are you thinking, Moses? What was God thinking? Why would he look? They were very confused. This whole thing made absolutely no sense to them. So guess what Moses said to them? There's one of these in every crowd, and I've hated everyone I've ever encountered. You know, when I'm having, when I'm having my meltdown, my anxiety attack, I'm in a real state of panic, there's always somebody that goes, don't be afraid. You're like, Really? Kill him. Take him out of the equation. You know, we've got every reason in the world to be afraid, so you just let me be afraid. Moses said, don't be afraid. Everybody, calm down. Be still. And watch this. <laughs> you know what he's saying? God is not through here. He's about to do something else. He's going to fight for us. And he's going to lay these guys in the shade. He's going to take them out of the equation. And we're going to be delivered. And I mean delivered for good. And apparently Moses then turned to pray because God said something. He said, what are you doing praying? Can you imagine that? And Moses must have turned and said, God, we're going to. God said, what are you doing praying? It's not time to pray. It's time to act. Take a shepherd's staff and lift it over your head. Moses goes, I he lifts the shepherd's staff, and man, the wind started blowing out of the east. I'm not talking about a normal wind. This was intense, and this was focused like a laser on the Red Sea. And this wind began to push on the Red Sea until it began to part the sea, and you had a wall of water on the right, you had a wall of water on the left, and I just believe it pushed it back, maybe made an opening a half mile to a mile wide. And the wind is blowing on the, on the floor of the sea until it dries it out. And, and I, believe, I believe the Israelites are just watching this in absolute amazement. Well, look at that. And Moses goes, get moving. <laughs> do, you not, do you not see your, take the cue here? It's time to go. Go through that opening. Get to the other side. So they started. You say, Ronnie, you think there's a big act of faith on their part? No, I think it was an act of desperation. 
Listen to me. When you've only got one move that you could possibly make, it's not too hard to know what move you should make. They had one move. Go through that opening. So these people start, man, they grab the kids, they grab their stuff, and they begin to start through this opening, and they're working their way as fast as they could to the other side. Now, meantime, here comes Pharaoh and the guys. And they come riding down. The Israelites are now in between the two walls of water. And, and Pharaoh says, charge! You know what, man? That's not the smartest thing he ever did. At what point do you look at this situation, Chris, and not go, something's weird. That, that water's walled up. Was the sea like that? Was it the last time we heard, was the sea like this? Do you remember this? You know what? you got to be thinking, no, 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 wait a minute. Why did he not equate this opening as God must be doing something? I'll tell you why, because God had a hook in his jaw, and he was reeling him in. So he and the boys, they plunge into the, between these walls of water. And uh, the Bible said God began to frustrate them. Their chariot wheels began to fall off. And one of them said, uh, I think God's working for them. Really? You're just not getting that? I think God is working for them. I think we need to get out of here. But about the time the last Israelite stepped safely on the shore and the last Egyptian soldier was in between the two walls of water, God said, Moses, raise that staff again. Moses goes, all right, boom, wind quit blowing. (laughs) I'm telling you what, sometimes it's too late to get things figured out. Wind quit blowing. Guess what happened to the sea? It just returned to normal. And it fell in, it caved in. On the entire Egyptian army, including Pharaoh. Now the Israelites are standing there and they've just witnessed all this. The wind, the parting of the sea, the drying out of the, the floor of the sea. They've just, the Bible says they were literally standing there watching the bodies of the Egyptian shoulders wash up, soldiers wash up on the shore. Now you're with them, right? In your mind? In your imagination? You, you, you saw that? You experienced that? You're listening to the waves lap, and, and, and every time they come up, here comes a sword or a chariot or, or 10 or 12 Egyptian soldiers, and you realize, honey, it's over. It is over. We have just been delivered and delivered for good. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? I bet I know. Look at chapter 14, verse 31. It says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. And the next statement is a key statement. It's a big one. They put their faith in the Lord. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, we've made a little trip into the wild, didn't we? We've learned something here that you've got to know. If you're going to follow God, you've got to know this. God won't always make sense to you. you got to know that. I, I was just talking with Tim McCall in between the two services. I said, I wish somebody had told me that. At the outset of my adventure following God, I wish somebody would have told me, Ronnie, God's not always going to make sense to you, and you have got to know that, and you've got to prepare yourself for that. God won't always make sense to you. As a matter of fact, just in particular, God's leadership won't always make sense to you. Now, I'm not saying that God's leadership would be unclear. God's a great leader. And I think his leadership will become crystal clear to you in time. 
In time, you'll know exactly what he wants you to do, exactly when you're to do it, and exactly how you're supposed to do it. I mean, take the Israelites, for example. What was muddled or what was difficult about watching a cloud or watching this fire? Man, that's easy. That is easy leadership to follow. It's not the what, when, and how that can seem so illogical. It's the why. Why, God? You know, God didn't lead Israel to take the obvious, shortest, most direct route to the land that he was giving them. Listen, if one of them said, uh, hey, a minute, let me pull up Google Maps. Type this in, promised land. I promise you Google Maps would not have chosen the route that God chose. If one of them said, let me, get, let me take the iPhone. Siri, I need directions to the promised land. I, I promise you Siri would not have chosen this route. And then again, with my personal experience with Siri, maybe then again she would have. I don't know. The promised land is up here, so naturally, God, we should go down there. That's confusing. And then Moses comes back and says, this is what God wants. We're going back up there. Well, Pharaoh's back up there. That could not have made any sense to these people. As a matter of fact, God even told Moses, the way I'm leading you, when Pharaoh hears the route, he'll assume you're confused. His leadership is described as roundabout leadership. And this is something you're going to experience as you follow God. His leadership won't always make sense to you. There'll be times you look at your spouse and go, I know what we need to do. We need to make a hard left right here. And then God's going to say, oh, no, 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 no. Right. You're going right. You're going to look at your spouse and say, I know what we need. It's time to act. And God's going to say, oh, no, no. It's time to wait. There'll be times where you evaluate God's leadership and come to the absolute conclusion that he's misleading us. This can't be right. In addition, just like the Israelites in our story, God is going to eventually lead you into some frightening situations that are impossible for you to get out out of. Now listen to me. Listen carefully to me. Because some of you just thought, what did he just say? Follow God, and he's going to, He is going to lead you into some frightening impossibilities. Now, I know some of you are super spiritual. You're so much above the rest of us that you'd say, I welcome a good impossibility. Uh, the heck you do. Come on now. You've never been in one if you welcome impossibilities. Impossibilities are frightening. Did I say heck? Well, it could have been worse. So, uh, when you get there, when you find yourself in a frightening impossibility, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to question God. You say, I won't, yeah, you will. You're going to doubt Him. You're going to gripe and complain and go, What is God doing to me and my family? I promise you, you will. Because you're going to see that he's painted you into a corner and there is no way out. You've got to know this. You've got to know that God at some point is not going to make sense to you. Here's what I've seen happen. Alan, Pastor Alan, you've seen this hundreds of times. People go, going to follow Jesus. Jesus said, okay, here's the step I want you to take. And they go, well, that doesn't make sense. 
God said, well, but you know it's what I want you to do. Yeah, but it doesn't make sense. So I'm not going to do it. You know what? They, in essence, they're saying, I'm not starting this journey. Huh? If you're waiting on everything God wants you to make sense, you're going to be waiting at the starting line. And then I see people follow God into these frightening impossibilities, and they look around and go, I know I didn't get here through acts of disobedience. I did everything he told me to do. And look at the mess that I'm in now. And they say, I'm not following. He'll never get me back in another situation like this. Never. I'm never going to follow him again. And they abort the great adventure of following God. This is preaching a whole lot better to you than it did that first group. I'm just going to tell you that right now. To follow God over the course of your life, you've got to prepare yourself for this fact. God is not always going to make sense to you. How do you prepare yourself for that? You've got to know why. That he will often lead you in a roundabout way and he'll often lead you into a frightening impossibility. You say, Ronnie, why? God's purpose is to give you something as he takes you somewhere. You got it? God's purpose is to give you something as he's taking you somewhere. Uh, God is uh, taking you somewhere. According to Jesus, God's purpose is to give you a, a rich and satisfying life. Life to the full, some translations describe it. That's the destination. In route to this destination, God wants to give you something. He wants to give you faith. In route to a rich, satisfying life, God will use the journey to give you faith. And for that reason, as far as God is concerned, the journey is every bit as important as the destination. Go back and look at those Israelites again. God led them in a roundabout, confusing way, and he led them into a frightening and impossible situation. And then what did he do? He just did a miracle and got them out of the situation. Boom. Just like that. He made a way out where there was no way out. He defeated an enemy that never could have defeated, and he defeated that enemy easily. How did this impact these people? They put their faith in God. He gave them something as he took them somewhere. He gave them faith. Having seen God's wisdom and power on full display, they trusted God more after these events than they did before. And that was God's purpose in doing things the way he did them. And why did he want them to have faith? Write this down. It takes faith to follow. You've got to have faith to follow. If these people were going to follow God, they were going to have to trust God. God won't always make sense to you. He'll lead you in such a way and he'll lead you into such situations that you will question him and you will doubt him. And about the time that you're filled with doubt and convinced that God has misled you, bam, he does a miracle and gets you out of the nasty situation he led you into. You'll see his wisdom and power firsthand. You'll realize that the God you questioned was right all along. And when you do, you'll trust him. God's purpose is to give you something as he takes you somewhere. God's purpose is to give you faith because it takes faith to follow. To follow God your whole life, you've got to trust God with your whole heart. So, we took our first trip into the wild. Here's what we learned. God won't always make sense to us. 
Why is that? Because God's purpose is to give us something as he takes us somewhere. Now, a lot of you learning that. Now, now you know that. Before you take another step in this adventure, go forward with God. But you, now you know that. So what should you do? Here's what I'm suggesting. Be patient. Be patient with God. The Bible said that when the Israelites saw the Egyptians coming, they panicked. Do you know what that word means? It means that they were overcome with a sudden intense fear, a fear that motivated them to act hysterically and irrationally, which means that they were about to take matters into their own hands. Now, what exactly they were thinking they were going to do, I'm not sure. But here they are, they're about to act. And Moses steps in and says, if I were you, I'd be patient. I would wait because I don't think God is through here. As a matter of fact, I know he's not. He's about to do something, and you don't want to miss this. Be patient with God, and let's see how he wraps this thing up. Before we assess his leadership, before we write him off, let's give him a chance to finish what he started and then see what we think about God as our leader. Very first day of 1980, the Lord led me in a way, a crystal clear way that he wanted me to devote the rest of my life to the ministry. Now, I assumed that the call to ministry was a call to Bible college and then seminary. And, and my assumptions were, you know, it really wasn't only an assumption. I was told by people that I respected that if God has called you into the ministry, then it's the same as calling you to Bible college and seminary. So, acting on that assumption, I tried to go. And it just did not work. I tried hard. I tried often. And every time I tried, it's like our financial world caved in, and I couldn't. Now, I'm not the sharpest bulb in the pack. It takes me a while to kind of get things figured out, but In time, I got this figured out. God's not leading me to go. He's leading me to bypass that. It's okay. That's what I'll do. God, I'm going to follow you. This is what you want. This is the way you want it. Here I am. I'm right on your heels. You lead. I'm following. So a year passed. I wasn't wasn't serving in the ministry. I wasn't a pastor anywhere. Uh, two years. Three. Four. Five. Six. You say, but I'm sure there were opportunities. Oh, no. I'm following. God called me to do this. I'm following him. And you know what? You know where it appeared it was going to me? Nowhere. Oh, I can remember some of the conversations that he and I had in prayer. I'd go, why me? I mean, out of all the guys that you call, you, you, you take them down this normal path, and, and you've got me over here, you know, off in the sawbriars and the ivy thing. I, what are you what are you doing? Why are you leading me this weird, cockamamie, strange route into the ministry? Why me? I thought he was picking on me. And then there would be the question, how? God, tell me how. 
How are you going to get me in a church when all these churches require a seven-year degree to serve as their pastor? I don't care if it's a church of 20. They wanted that master's degree from How is this going to happen? Tell me how. You know what he'll say to me every time? Be patient. You don't know where I'm taking you. But I know where I'm taking you. Ronnie, you be patient. I not only can open a door, I can make the door and then open the door. You got to be patient with me. Six and a half years in, a guy pastored a church in our, in our community uh, came to see me. He said, I'd like to hire you as a part-time associate pastor. I want you to help me. Now, this is one that, Ryan Harden was in the first service. He comes to our church. It's his dad, David Harden. David is perhaps the smartest man I ever met. Incredible education. I prayed about it, and, and, and I, I felt, I need to do this. Now, let me tell you what I assumed. I assumed that my calling in ministry was to help men who were qualified because I was unqualified. But I could help them. Now, we had a great arrangement. It was a great experience. And then 18 months in, David took me to breakfast and said, i got to tell you something. Uh, I'm leaving. I'm going to be a missionary in New England. And so they formed a search He told the church they formed a search committee. And the search committee came in and said, would you fill in until we find somebody? And I said, yeah, I can do that. And so in about two weeks, they came to me and said, uh, we think we found our man. I said, who is he? They said, uh, we think it's you. You know what I said? Well, wait a minute. I've never been to Bible college. I've never been to seminary. I am just totally unqualified. I don't have, I don't have, and this is what they said. We know all that you don't have. You've been with us a year and a half. And we're able to watch you. And we know what you do have. And we think that what you have is what we need. Well, the next thing I know, I woke up on November the 16th, 1987. And I was full-time in the ministry. Pastoring a church. Just as I felt God called me to. It was eight years later. Down a roundabout path. Littered with frightening impossibilities. You know what I learned? That the God I had questioned and the God I had doubted and the God I had often quarreled with was a God who could have been and should have been trusted all along. He did know where he was taking me. And he could open a door for me. Now here's what I'm telling you. Somewhere out there, God's going to start leading you in this weird way. I'm talking about weird. And when he does, I want you to follow him patiently. Understanding he knows what he's doing. He knows where we're going. I don't have to know. Now, I remember one time standing under this tree. I, I had this place outside where I prayed. And I was standing under the tree and said, where am I? You know what he said to me? What does that matter? I'm with you. I got you. And I know where I'm going.
that ought to be all that matters to you. Listen, God at some point is going to lead you into a frightening impossibility and you're going to start calling him into question. How could he do? Listen, here's what you do. Be patient with him. He's not through. There's something else coming. He's going to do something that blows your mind. And when he does, you know what you're going to realize? The God that you doubted, the God that you questioned, the God that maybe you quarreled with over and over again, you're going to realize that he's a God I could have and should have always trusted. God's not always going to make sense to you. It's because he's trying to give you something as he takes you somewhere. Be patient with him. All right, where we're going next, Ronnie? Deeper into the wild, okay? We're going deeper into the wild, and there's more that we're going to learn together that's going to help us stay on the course of God's leading for our entire life so that we don't miss one thing along the way, that we stay steady and true on the journey, on this great adventure, the adventure of a lifetime, this adventure of following God. You going to go with me? Great. Let's pray together. Father, you're so good and so kind, so merciful. But let us say this, so wise. You are just so wise. And you are so powerful and you are so faithful. And if we'll just give you time, you will prove every bit of that to us. Well, there are people here, Lord, that need to brace themselves because this is coming. Some, Lord, are sitting there unraveling their current situation, realizing, I'm already there. I pray that they'll find value in the fact, value in the fact, that they can trust you, that what you're up to is giving them faith, more faith, that they'll need somewhere down the line. And the main thing I pray is this, God, help us follow. Help us follow you closely. Help us follow you over the course of our entire lives. In the name of Jesus, we ask this together. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.